Hey y'all, and welcome back to another episode on the Through My Smudge Glasses podcast. Hope you guys all had a nice transition back into school and work or whatever you may be doing. All the winter holidays and New Year's came around the same time very nicely when anyone was setting up calendars or creating holidays and that gives us a pretty big break during December and it's nice to slow down a bit honestly especially when it gets you re-energized to come back to school and things like that. Um, Here's some positive reminders for the new year. Don't get caught up too much in new year's resolutions and just remember to focus on yourself and your mental health. Remember that you are in control and you can help yourself keep up with your happiness and even though we aren't in control with things like our pandemic that's happening right now and Um, maybe the way school is going on we can try to be intentional with ourselves this year and again just focus on yourself even with like the current events that are happening right now your own happiness should be your number one priority well i am ready to get on to this new year with new episodes of this podcast which if you asked is all about science and how it impacts the society around us we focus on social issues and positivity and how we can take advanced science concepts and apply it to solve problems of the general population every day and how we can help minorities with science problems as well so to support this podcast and help us grow our reach it's really easy listen to all of our episodes on any podcast streaming platform and send our episodes to family and friends who might enjoy it to spread the knowledge and start discussions remember to rate this podcast five stars and follow us on any podcasting platform follow us on instagram too at through my smudge glasses spelled like the title all in lowercase Now, this episode, in my opinion, is a very exciting one. It's all about CRISPR, which actually was a listener-based recommendation. Um, Our listener, Cinder, asked if we could do an episode all about CRISPR through Instagram DMs, and I was like, of course. So this is actually based on a listener's recommendation, so thank you. Um, But CRISPR is a very hot new technology about gene editing that has many possibilities tied to it, all of which enable us to do things we have never been able to do before. How does that not sound exciting to anyone? Honestly, it's not possible to not be excited by CRISPR. So everyone, keep on listening. I wanted to discuss what gene editing is because that's what all the hype about CRISPR is about. Um, Genes are like what people usually know are what makes up the directions that determine what we look like, how we function, and what habits we can even have too. I'm sure that a lot of you guys have heard at least one of the ads about genetic testing services that tells you your family history, exact percentages, where you're from, why you move in your sleep, why you might be double jointed, or are you even likely to have diabetes when you get older. Don't worry, I'm not going to be bombarding you with an advertisement for a genetic test, that's not what we do here, but I am going to be talking more about genes because um, they are important. Every person gets their genes from their biological parents. Each human has 23 pairs of chromosomes, which means they have two of each kind because there are 23 pairs of chromosomes, pair, two, you know. Um, And we get one out of the two from each of our parents, and this makes up our total of 23 pairs of chromosomes, resulting in 46 total chromosomes in the original cell that a human fetus comes from. To grow as a fetus, even and even now, our cells reproduce in a cycle involving our DNA. Not only to grow do they go through the cycle, but to repair broken areas where cells might be damaged, and to generally function as a body, our cells often divide and grow as new cells, all with the same copy of DNA. 
To do this, cells must have the same DNA in that cell that was in the previous cell. And in a perfect world, this would all happen all the time perfectly with no errors. But sometimes there are discrepancies that can happen. But going back to the perfect world scenario, DNA is arranged in a double helix spiral, which means two strands go together and spiral each spiral together with each other, each connected to the other. First, when DNA is being replicated to be put into a new cell, um, a protein called helicase or helicase goes through and acts like a pair of scissors and cuts apart the two DNA strands into two separate strands. Then, a protein called DNA primase creates an RNA primer at the beginning of where the DNA copying should begin, so that DNA polymerase can go and start at that primer and start analyzing the bases. And if you look at the structure of DNA, each nucleotide or molecule of DNA has a unique base attached to it, and these bases pair up. So if there are two strands and one has an A base pair, a A base pair will pair up with a T base pair on the other one. So they're kind of like puzzle pieces that only go with each other. And a C base pair will pair up with a G base pair. So DNA polymerase looks at the DNA base and then it finds the pair that goes with it or attaches with it and adds that pair, adds that base onto the strand. DNA polymerase's limitation and a trait of it is that it can only read in the 3 prime to 5 prime strand direction. And this means that because DNA strands can either go in a 3 prime to 5 prime direction or 5 prime to 3 prime direction, which is determined by the order in which the nucleotides or smaller molecules that make up DNA are added. Um, so when a DNA strand that goes from the 5 prime to 3 prime direction is read, DNA polymerase can only duplicate sections of it because at a time because it has to go from the 3' prime to 5' prime direction for a little bit and then go back and create another segment and keep on going until it reaches the end. So in this way, it starts at a point, works one way, and then has to go back, start at another point, and work another way because it can't just go down like it can on the other strand. So um, because of this, you can think of it kind of like as the DNA polymerase can only read words, or in this case is bases, from right to left, but uh-oh, the words are written from left to right, so it must go in segments where it reads from left to right and then go back and read left to right again, again and again until it reaches the end. And this means that there are some gaps in the new DNA strand. So then ligase, another protein, comes in and patches up the gaps between the strands of the molecules, strands of the DNA. This is the process of DNA replication and how we are able to replicate the same set of DNA for every single cell in our body, which is about 30 trillion cells. Now, again, these genes can determine what traits you have like eye color, but they can also determine some pretty serious things. Huntington's disease and Parkinson's disease are just some of the many examples of different kinds of genetic disorders that there are. And our genes are the things that determine these traits and develop into new proteins and things like that. So now, what if I were to say that scientists have actually found a way to defy what we previously thought was a limitation of human nature and that they have found a way to actually edit the traits and other qualities that genes decide theoretically? This is gene editing. It's a process of using a method of cutting DNA. An example of this is using restriction enzymes, which snip DNA in spots depending on if the specific base pattern matches up with the specific base pattern that it is able to cut. 
or if the restriction site is specifically what restriction site corresponds with that restriction enzyme, a, a restriction enzyme will cut in that site. And after cutting the DNA, it is replaced with a new piece of DNA that can be coded or translated and transcribed into a different protein, one that might be better for a person's health or something like that. And although it can sound complex, and it can get complex when dealing with the intricacy of the human genome, this experiment is actually really accessible to even most AP biology classrooms through an experiment of cutting and replacing DNA in a plasmid, which is a circular strand of DNA often present in bacteria. Um, gene editing is something that has actually become very prominent in present science and will be pretty prominent in future science by the way it looks like now. And CRISPR allows us to take that to the next level and really allows us to utilize the amazing possibilities that come on with gene editing. CRISPR is the tool that lets us easily alter DNA sequences. It is the most elegant and precise way to alter DNA, in my opinion. Again, my opinion. Um, CRISPR is actually not the full name. It is CRISPR-Cas9, which is referring to the protein that is also involved in the entire process. Let's be real, though. No one has made. Um, no one is mad that the its name is CRISPR, though, because it's fun to say. Um, the, origin, the origins of CRISPR and Cas9 are organic, actually. They are found in the bacteria and archaea on Earth, which are single-celled microorganisms. These microorganisms use their Cas proteins and CRISPR-derived RNA to chop up the DNA of any invader in their body. And as we know, without DNA, those invaders are can't do anything and are pretty much just bystanders. CRISPR which is spelled C-R-I-S-P-R, stands for Clusters of Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats, which means that it is a section of DNA that has palindromic nucleotide repeats, which means if you read them from the 5' prime to 3' prime strand or the 3' prime to 5' prime strand, they are the same. It's the same thing as like a race car, where if you read race car one way and race car a different way, it's going to be the same. Um... And there are multiple of those repeated sections that have spacer DNA between them. And spacer DNA is just DNA that's not a palindromic repeat. Bacteria used these spacers to help them build up their immunity. And after an attack from an invader, they would store the DNA information of the invader in a spacer so that the next time they were attacked by the same invader, they could fight off the attack easily. <laughs> kind of similar to T cells and B cells in, um, that develop in the human immune system. CRISPR also has its own kind of RNA, and CRISPR RNA is a portion of the CRISPR that is translated into RNA. RNA is different than DNA, and each has one nucleotide plus a spacer portion that was in the DNA. Then also comes the Cas9, or the Cas protein, which actually does the cutting. By using CRISPR RNA plus transactivating CRISPR RNA, the Cas9 protein is able to be guided to the place or target site where it is supposed to make a double-standard break. So, these are all the things that you need to understand for getting why CRISPR is such a versatile way for scientists to cut genes. Unlike restriction enzymes, the Cas9 protein relies on the CRISPR RNA and the transactivating CRISPR RNA to guide it to where it's supposed to break the DNA. So, it doesn't have a specific restriction site that it can only do. So, scientists can then change CRISPR RNA that was sent to the Cas9 protein and boom, the Cas9 protein will cut the DNA using a double-stranded break wherever the CRISPR RNA tells it to. This became even more simpler when Martin Jinnick and his 
team created guide RNA by fusing CRISPR RNA and transactivating CRISPR RNA. So now guide RNA and Cas9 have been used to cut the DNA. And that's one step of the genome editing process, the actual breaking of the genome. The next step is how to incorporate the DNA that we want to incorporate into that break. And if we let DNA naturally fix itself, it will go through a process of gluing the ends back together. But to do this, bases and nucleotides are often deleted and added, and all of this can mess up the genes there. And it can cause a gene mutation. So what did scientists do? They used a different method where they supply a DNA template of their own to the cell, which it uses to fill in the gaps that exist where the break is. This way, they can correctly change the gene. And overall, that's all there is to CRISPR. And the Cas9 and guide RNA create a cut, and within that, scientists can incorporate any nucleotides and rewrite the gene. And it's very special and exciting because it allows scientists to use it for a versatile amount of genes and write in a versatile amount of genes as well. Of course, CRISPR is not a perfect 100% uh, process all of the time yet, but it's gaining traction. In fact, the Nobel Prize for Chemistry this year went to Emmanuel Charpignier and Jennifer A. Doudna for their work with CRISPR. The ability to edit genes is not a power for humans to take lightly, though, so as CRISPR becomes the shining star of the gene editing world, there are also people discussing where our ethical limitations of gene editing lie and their concerns about that. Specifically, I wanted to talk about the problem with gene editing and the way it relates to editing the genes of embryos or babies before they are actually born. In other words, designer babies. It's pretty much agreed upon right now that with the development that stages that CRISPR and gene editing are still in, that um, embryos are out of the question for now. But studies about gene therapy to help with diseases and other gene-related ailments are going on. So one concern about gene therapy to help deal with disease treatment is that if it was open to the public, it would likely fall into the same disparities that current exi currently exist in healthcare. And if it were to get to the point where genome editing became pretty common, sometimes people are concerned that it could cause further separation of different socioeconomic classes, as some people would have access to high-quality genome editing and others would not have access to it and therefore not be in the same playing field. More and about embryo and gene embryos and their relation to gene editing, there are questions that come up about the consent of the embryo. Um, parents would, in this case, in this um, hypothesization where they have the power to control the genes of their babies, parents would have the power to change the genes of their kids, potentially changing their traits. When we think about if we really if we reached a dystopian novel situation. Parents could pick out the eye color, hair color, and other traits of their kids before they're even old enough to have a say. But thinking more about what is possible in closer in the future, not anywhere near this time, but like closer than that dystopian future, is um, even with changing the genes in a way the parents will believe will make them physically healthier, several people bring up about whether it's ethical for parents to have that power. Other people say that if we trust parents to make good decisions for their kid while they are growing up and since they are their legal guardian, they should be trusted with this as well. Also, the actual safety right now of CRISPR editing is not exactly as safe as it should be. Of course, this can be improved, but there are many prohibiting it to be even considered for clinical reproductive therapy because of the safety, and it's also not exactly open to the public for general treatment. 
Some say that what we have right now for embryos is fine as well for figuring out these genetic disorder complications. Um, one of these uh, ways of figuring out is pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. And this is where an embryo's DNA is analyzed for genetic defects in the case that both of its parents had a genetic defect, so it's likely that it has it too unless a mutation occurred. Um, the Some say that this CRISPR editing could actually be used to address the things that that pre-implementation genetic diagnosis doesn't address, or it could work for families who don't agree with the procedure of that and want to do something else. Additionally, there are some problems that haven't been able to be fixed and are preventing it from becoming a reality for an actual therapy with um, regular people. Um, Off-target effects are when CRISPR may make edits in the wrong place, which can have detrimental effects within the genome because they can lead to proteins not uh, forming or the wrong kind of protein forming. And mosaicism is where uh, there's a problem with some cells not changing their their genes, but others do are changing their genes, which leads to the DNA in each cell different and not matching for all of them. And it's interesting to hear debates about people arguing about their morals too with this um, idea because some say that gene editing is not good for society because it won't be hard for humans to get too caught up in the thrill of changing genes. And others say that if we have the tools to help people and change people's disorders and diseases for the better, then it's not moral to actually not do anything other than help them. We, they're saying that we have to help them because it is our moral duty if we have the tools to use them. Right now, specifically about the embryos, federal funds and other health groups often don't fund research involving embryos because, again, the ethical implications. Um, some countries allow it with embryos that couldn't result in a live birth or embryos that a human embryos made for research. And though there are ethical discussions of designer babies, there's also the ethical dilemmas and implications that researchers run into, how they could even try to study it within these studies. And overall, it's a very stimulating moral ethical conversation where you can just let your mind wander and just ask a bunch of what ifs and think about what would you say in that situation is right. I did want to talk about the societal impacts of CRISPR because truly there is a lot of diseases that plague humans whose roots can be found in genetics. Several couples are not able to have a child because of their genetics. Several people whose genetics inhibit them from having a higher quality of life have a lower quality of life. If gene therapy develops in a way where we use we as a human race are okay with the ethics of how we are using it it truly could transform life for a lot of people with genetic problems from the beginning of time evolution has always said survival of the fittest your genetics and the environment that you are in means that some organisms with certain characters are more likely to live than others with crispr there's a change in that fundamental crisis or process that goes on we are able to access and easily change something that was previously a roadblock A big part of how CRISPR could transform many lives is through cancer. Cancer often has to do with genes called oncogenes, which are always turned on in the case of people who develop cancer. And this means that it's always activated in their bodies and there are too many copies of that specific cell because those genes always being activated leads to them creating a lot of those cells. And this is how a tumor grows. 
Like everyone knows, there's no surefire way to treat cancer because each case is so individualistic. Well, with CRISPR, there's a way to go in and edit out these oncogenes calling it, causing a tumor to grow and spread and stopping it. Of course, that example was very much simplified, but as you can see, CRISPR has begun to solve a problem that has blocked us for centuries. And sickle cell anemia, again, another genetic disorder that could potentially be treated through CRISPR. Sickle cell anemia is where the shape of your red blood cells are more like a crescent moon that have defective hemoglobin. These cells stop regular hemoglobin in regular red blood cells to carry oxygen. They stick together as well to cause blood vessels and cause painful and damaging complications to people who have them. You could change the DNA involved in making the sickle cells or even making the hemoglobin to being help to help people who struggle with this. CRISPR is the future and the prospects of genetic editing in the future. Its versatility is truly is exciting to think about as it has the possibility to help a lot of people in a different and direct way that we have never done before. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed learning all about CRISPR and hopefully I helped it make sense. Now let's move into something a little bit more about all of you listeners. Yep, I'm talking about our cue from you, where each week a listener sends in a question to be answered in this podcast and they are featured on the podcast. Keep listening because I'll tell you how you can get your question featured on this podcast. This week our question comes from Jits M and they ask, do you know why silicon chips generate so much heat? Why is there no advancement in that area to make them run cooler? Just imagine how much energy you save if the data centers are running cooler around the world. Thank you so much for your question. To answer your first question about why silicon chips generate so much heat is because of the amount of electricity passing through it directly relates to the temperature of the chip and the overall heat. So usually in electronic devices, we combat the heat of these chips by using a fan and other heat combating technologies. Poor ventilation and other things such as that other things trap heat as well, such as dust around the silicon chips. And this can also increase the temperature. The area or size of the silicon chips are too small to efficiently get rid of that heat to where to the point where it isn't heating up easily. And transistors are added onto silicon chips to increase the speed and capabilities of computers, and they act almost like a switch to amplify the electricity, but they are also a problem that increases the heat of silicon chips because the more electrons that are moving the higher the temperature is going to gain and Moore's law actually discusses that the number of transistors put on a silicon chip will double each year and now they're at a rate where they are doubling every 18 months so people are beginning to reach the limit where they think the silicon chips can pr be proven effective or actually be able to work or run kind of like you were saying jitsem the theory is that they are beginning to look things in look into things to replace silicon chips to make new computers more powerful and agile to take the temperature down an example a way of a way that um microsoft's project natic is trying to um develop a new way other than silicon chips to power computers is that they are increasing the entire area of their data center and constructing an enormous data center um, that reduces the threshold voltage for which transistors, transistors switch, as well as reducing the overall temperature of the actual chips and things like that, which makes it function at a higher power and it leads to a quicker performance as well. And I hope that helps a little bit. This was a really interesting question to learn more about. 
Now the question you should all especially pay attention to, how do you get your question on the podcast? You just need to submit your question to us on Instagram. Follow us at Through My Smudge Glasses, spelled like the title, all in lowercase. You can submit your questions, ideas for podcast episodes, ideas for podcast segments, and literally anything helpful, like even book recommendations, through our comments, Instagram stories, DMs, literally whatever you want. But go follow us and get involved. I hope you guys learned a lot in this episode and are excited to learn more about the capabilities as CRISPR as I am. That's the end of this week's episode. I wanted to thank all of you for tuning in this week and supporting this podcast. Every single listen of any episode makes my day. To continue to support this podcast, listen and share other episodes on any podcast listening platform, follow us as well, rate us five stars if you enjoyed, and finally, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Through My Smudge Glasses, spelled like the title, all in lowercase, for updates, more information, and an amazing community. Hope to see all of you guys there. Until then, keep safe and happy. See you guys next week for the next podcast episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.